0: I would say go blue because my daughter goes there. So let me just welcome our friend, Wayne Stapleton.
1: Hi, I'm Wayne Stapleton. Thank you for your wonderful greeting. Man, I'm like, how do I feel? Gosh. Hi, Grace. This is the place, about 16 or 17 years ago, I was working in a financial job somewhere, and I had a call in my life, and I didn't know what to do. And so this is the place where I joined a small group, connected with people, and they launched me in the seminary. And this is the place that hired me back, and for four years, I poured as much as I could into grace, into the kingdom. And... It's hard to believe, but it's almost to the day, four years since I left. And we've been at Renewal for four years, making, doing our best to make God known in Warren. But as you know, and as, as I do, it's not about the building, right? It's not about the sanctuary, it's not about the seats. I could go in every single room in this entire building and think about a moment I had with somebody a moment I had with a ministry team. A moment I had, but, but see, it's all about relationships, right? It's about relationships. It's about people. This is what makes it so special to be back, thinking about the people, the people that are still here, the people that have left, but the people that we spent so much time with being on the core team, with the pennies and the Paulas of the world. You know, I miss you. Um, the amazing job that Pastor Doug has done leading this church to where it is right now. You know, the thing about relationships are that, as you well know, they're, they're give and take. They're not just one direction. They're give and they're take. Not like the wife who told her friends that her and her husband did not need counseling anymore because, you know, she majored in theater and he majored in communication, so he just talks and she acts like she's listening. See, in healthy relationships— In good relationships, it's reasonable to say to the person who you love, you have blessed me so much. What can I do for you? Have you ever asked someone you love that open-ended question? What can I do for you? What does it look like? What does it feel like for me to love you to you? How can I love you? The genuine love motivates us to give. We want to be about the benefits, the blessing of the one that we love. I remember the feeling of satisfaction I got when I was coming back from the uh, athletic shoe store with my son Adam. Adam is the youngest of two kids, so he has a tendency to wear gently and not so gently used clothing from his older brother. And he needed some shoes. He needed some shoes. Bad. We could see his soles. We were like, man, you're... It's like Flintstone shoes. It was, it was bad. And so he needed some gym shoes. And so we went to the store, and I bought him these gym shoes. And the look of satisfaction on his face when we were leaving there with some shoes, it, it was awesome. And he's hard to shop for anyway. I think two hours later, he forgot we were there. But during that moment at the time, you should have seen the look on his face. Giving to someone you love is truly fulfilling. And when we ponder and meditate on the love that God has given to us, We're amazed, right? God promises total forgiveness for our sins, no matter how rebellious or destructive we've been to others or we've been to ourselves. Probably the verse that I've said the most is 2 Corinthians 5.21 the past four or five years. God sent him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what God has done for you and me. He's turned sinners into sons and daughters through faith. Praise Jesus. And love is the character. Love is the nature of God. Love is central to his nature, so much so that I don't believe you can analyze any any doctrine, any Bible doctrine, and separate from it the love of God. Love is woven into everything that God is and everything that God is about, and God loves his church, and God loves his church well. Would you agree? How well do we love him back? How well do we love him back? I think it's a a question worth pondering. Sometimes I feel like we live in a society where we're all about receiving the blessings, but how well do we bless God back? Many people would say if you ask them, sure, I love God. This morning, I want to take a little time for us to ask ourselves and us to receive the question, how well do I love God back? To consider not first how God relates to us, but how are we relating to God? My desire is to help us grow in the quality of our relationship with God. So let's consider what loving God back looks like. Now, if you have not trusted in Christ, please listen. Please listen. But if you have trusted in Christ, please remember what you've received. And ponder how you can respond. We can't plead ignorance to the blessings of God. All you have to do is turn on the news and for 15 seconds you realize how good you have it. And I wanna be clear about another thing as we get into this. We don't give to receive, we give because we have received. We're not playing games with God here. We're looking at him for who he is and responding appropriately. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. We know you're here. We thank you for the table that was set by the awesome worship team. We ask you, Jesus, to speak to our hearts this morning. We confess there's nowhere else to go but you. We confess that we've thought a lot more about ourselves and a lot less about you than is appropriate. And we invite you to speak to our hearts about who we really are and what you really want. So last fall, I was preaching, I started the ministry, the the ministry year at Renewal preaching on our five elements of renewal. They're like your six essentials. Ours are gather, connect, engage, serve, and reach. And so I preached through that, you know, to cast vision for what does it look like to follow Jesus at Renewal? How do we want you to organize your life so that you can receive the presence of God in your life and grow in your faith? And So then I wanted to get into after that sermon series into like preaching through a book of the Bible, because I enjoy preaching through a book of the Bible, walking through the text. But God was like, you know, you need to work on your love level at renewal. Uh, Do people love the way they should be loving? And so I was like, okay. That's what you're supposed to say to God, okay. Sure. So I preached on how the the fact that God is love. I preached a message on how we to love one another, preached a message on loving people far from God. I even preached a message specifically on what love looks like across the chasm of race and culture. And this message I preach, I'm preaching this morning, I preached there as well. I felt like God wanted us to hear this today. So I'm listening as well as you are. Let's see what he says. Last, um, I'm sorry, uh, Scottish writer, Henry Drummond, Uh, It's quoted as saying, you'll find as you look back upon your life that the moments when you've truly lived are the moments when you have done things in the spirit of love. Today I want to look at two uh, attitudes that reflect our love of God. And I want to ask you how you're doing with these. And then I'm going to ask you to ponder and spend some time silently at the end of this message considering where you are with relationship to these. Two attitudes that reflect our love for God, and the first is obedience. Obedience is God's love language. Obedience is the way God says he wants us to show our love for him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Oswald Chambers, a fairly godly guy, was noted as saying, the best measure of a spiritual life is not its ecstasies, but its obedience. So what's up with this? Are you saying, well, you know, why is God all about obeying him? Why is he so self-centered? Because God can say, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. But wives, don't say that to your husbands, please. Or husbands, don't say that to your wives. If you love me, you'll obey me. What we have to remember, and it's not a popular point, but it's a point that I think we need to be reminded of, you and I are creatures. We're created. God existed long before we did. And when we showed up on the scene, everything was up and running. Is that fair? I mean, when you were born, there were people standing around saying, oh, you're finally here. Now we can go. And our maker is the truth. Our maker is the author of reality. God existed before everything else. He's infinite backwards and he's infinite forward. And we're here because of his provision, his creation, his will, his decision. And so when one like that says obey me, it's merely conformity with the truth. With the purpose of our being created in the first place. Obedience to God is doing what we were made to do, being who we were made to be in the first place. One time I was in my kitchen, and I was explaining this to somebody and we were talking about, uh, you know, how we need to obey God because he is our maker. And she said, she was talking with someone who said, why is God so self-centered? And so I had a, a fairly large um, salt and pepper, a pepper mill, because my wife got that for, my, for me for a gift because I love pepper. And so I had this big wooden pepper mill and I, and I asked her, I said, so suppose you invented this, suppose this was your idea, your creation peppermint. And suppose you saw somebody hammering a nail into a wall with it. What would you tell them to do? And she said, I tell them, stop. And then I asked, why would you tell them to stop? And she said, because that's not what it was made for. And then I said, exactly. We've been made by a supreme being who had a reason for making us. We were made for something specific, unique. I ask people sometimes, how did you choose your parents? That was an interesting choice. How did you choose your ethnicity? How did you decide you were going to be born there? We're so full of ourselves sometimes, we forget that we came onto the scene according to the will and decision of a greater one than us. And we want it to be all about us, but it's not. All these things were given to us. You were God's idea. Obedience, doing what God says, is merely doing what you were made to do if you truly believe God is who he says he is, then obedience to him is the most logical path you could take. See, I think we have to get over this idea that obeying God restricts us from something and realize that obeying God actually frees us for more. So how is obedience love, though? How can one say that? Well, to love God is to believe him, to trust him, to believe what he said, believe in his character, believing his will is best, seeing him as he truly is and responding appropriately, wanting what he wants. When you love someone, you want what they want, provided obviously it's best for them. Normally we think of relationships as among equals. And sometimes when we misrepresent our relationship with God, we think of it as God and us. There's him and then there's us. I could do what he says, I don't have to do what he says but wanting what God wants puts him in the proper perspective. You're saying, Lord, I desire to come into conformity with your will because I love and trust you and believe that your will is best. Your word is true because I believe you are who you said you are. Psalm 92:15 tells us about the moral perfection of God. To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. No unrighteousness, no wrong, only perfection. Francis Chan has said that he loves those opportunities when he's tempted to choose obedience and not sin, because through that, he's showing God how much he loves him better than the sin that he's not choosing. So you think that way? I could do this, I could do that. I could make this comment on Facebook because they need to hear this. Or I could indulge in that activity. I could go on this particular rant or not, and in those moments, which choice do you make? I'm not gonna look at that website. I'm not gonna indulge in that activity. I'm not gonna do something, or I'm going to do something else besides watch that TV show that glorifies something I know God hates. I will serve in that ministry. See, I'm flexible. I learned that this morning, I'm trainable. I will encourage that hurting person. I will consider someone who thinks differently than me, looks differently than me, and he thinks different politically than me, and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Oops. Why? Because God has a desire. He has a perfect desire for my character. He has a perfect desire for my actions, and I love him, so I will obey him. You know, we often, most of us, if not all of us, know the Lord's Prayer, and we pray the Lord's Prayer, but I ask you to consider When we say thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, how does God's will get done except by obedient people who are surrendering and submitting to his will on earth so that it will be done here like it is in heaven? When we say God's will be done, what we're basically saying is we pray that people will obey you, God. We obey because we love him. Not just because we intellectually believe that he's God, but because he owns us and we've surrendered our lives to him. You know, if your spiritual life is held back, it may be because you don't love God and you're not obeying Him. It says so the Bible says, "Taste and see that the Lord is good." Maybe you don't—you haven't tasted, you haven't seen, so you don't believe that the Lord is good. And then you want to put it on Him. What if God is standing there waiting for us to respond to show us Himself? God loves us and he wants us to love him back. And obedience is an expression of this love. But as we obey God, I believe something else happens. Something else grows in us. We truly begin to delight in the Lord. What do you delight in? Your football team winning? Your basketball team winning? There's not a lot of college basketball delight in Michigan these days. Go Tigers. They can't come soon enough. Come up north. Come on. Do you delight binge-watching your favorite TV show? Do you delight in that delicious meal or that dessert that you took a picture of before you ate it and posted it on Instagram or Facebook? And what is the objective of posting your food on, a, you know, are you making want people to be, you're trying to stimulate envy, right? Because the people who are looking at it can't eat it. All they can do is see the picture and they can lick the phone, but that doesn't help. I'm just trying to figure that out. Sorry, I, but I digress. You delight in your special relationship with a loved one. Psalm one tells us uh, what a blessed person looks like, and it's related to delight. Now, I don't know many people who don't want to be blessed. Anybody here? God's passing out blessings like I'm good, I'm straight. No, God, no, you get this person, they're better, they need it. Psalm one tells us, blessed is the man, the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. What is delight? Delight is pleasure, it's, it's desire. And Psalm 1 tells us that a, a person who's blessed, a person who's happy, a person who feels fulfilled, a person whose needs are met, a person who's at peace is a person whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of God, which reflects his character, his purity, his moral excellence. That's the person who's blessed and who, who who is happy. I confess that often there have been times when I've caught my heart gravitating toward what's not God. Not that it's necessarily even sin. But it becomes sin when it replaces God in my life. I said, you know, I'm not delighting in God and in his moral purity and his righteousness and in his word. I'd rather, you know, can't wait till the Avengers comes out. Or, you know what I'm saying? You know, that kind of thing. So when that happens, it becomes sin because I'm replacing God with something else. Tim Keller says this in Counterfeit Idols, in Counterfeit Gods. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give you. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol is such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources, on it without a second thought. I know this is speaking to somebody. It can be family and children. It can be career. It can be making money. It can be achievement. It can be critical acclaim. It can be saving face. It can be social standing. It can be a romantic relationship or peer approval. It could be competence or skill. It could be a secure and comfortable circumstance. It could be your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause or your morality and virtue or even success in Christian ministry can become an idol when it's out of place with loving God for who he is. When your meaning in life is to fix someone else's life, Tim Keller says, we call that codependency. But it's really idolatry. And idols, whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then my life will finally have meaning. Then I'll know that I have value and I'm significant and secure. How many people can confess in their heart of hearts that they know that there's been times, or maybe even right now, that all that he was talking about is related not to God but to something else? That you're giving your energy. You're giving your your, your thoughts. Your heart is devoted towards something that's not God. But then you can sanctify it by saying, well, it's really about taking care of my family. It's really about this, or it's really about that. But it's really about idolatry. God wants to be our delight. And if God is our God, then our ultimate delight is in Him. And, and to love God is to enjoy God and to find pleasure in Him. And I remember I was in a Bible, leading a Bible study several years ago, In Cafe Grace, and I asked people, I said, you know, do you enjoy the Lord? And somebody came up to me afterwards and said, that's kind of weird. What do you mean, enjoy the Lord? Do you enjoy the Lord? I remember when the the switch kind of flipped for me. Tiny and I were going to a church and we were doing the things you do. We were serving, we were in small groups, we were coming to worship, we we were going to retreats. Then all of a sudden, something changed, and I found the fruit of of committing your energy and your life to God, I found a deep joy that I realized nothing else in the world can replace or nothing else in the world can even compare to besides connecting with God. His, his peace and his character is spotless, and intimacy with him is the most important thing we could ever have in our lives. And I don't know if we always believe that, but I'm willing to give my life for that truth. And I wanted more of him. I wanted more of being with his people. I wanted more of his word. I wanted more of worship with him. And so I'd make a fool of myself in the car with loud worship music, singing, off-key. That's the only way I know how to sing, Jay. Do you love God? Do you delight in him for who he is? Do you find pleasure in the things of God? Rejoicing in the Lord is not just a feeling, it's a command, Philippians 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. If you didn't hear it the first time, again, I say rejoice. Delighting in him will line your heart up with God's purposes. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, he was talking about obedience and he was talking about delight. He was talking about what does it look like to be someone who follows Jesus. He's captivated. You're captivated by the person and work and presence and character of God himself. Now you might be saying, you know, look, Wayne, I'm not there. I'm glad you're not coming back next week. Because <laughs> this is ridiculous. But, <laughs> but, see, I can say stuff that make you angry because, you know, you could kick me out and I'd be like, okay, <laughs> I don't work here anyway. You can be where you are. Where you are is wherever you are. But own it and commit yourself to going somewhere where you know God wants you to be. That's the point. One of the best ways for us to grow is to ask ourselves the right questions. If we ask ourselves the wrong questions, we can end up in the wrong place, liable to reinforce blind spots in our lives. For instance, your measure of your love for God might just be that you show up on Sunday mornings. That doesn't lead you to the right place unless you're receiving something from Sunday mornings that continues to lead you somewhere deeper and somewhere closer and somewhere more committed. And you're not getting out of Sunday mornings what you're supposed to. Your measure might be, look at all these Bible studies I've been to. I've kind of hammered my church recently about when we read the Bible, we don't read stories about people sitting around reading the Bible. In the Bible. We need to know the Bible. But they're doing stuff for Jesus in the Bible. Do you get that? Do you hear what you're saying? You know, we have a car, and our mechanic said that it has an oil leak. And so it's a slight oil leak. So much so that he says, you know, check the oil every 1,000 miles, because it's going to cost a lot of money to get it fixed. So every once in a while, I have to check the oil in our car. If the oil runs out of our car, our car is rendered useless. Our car is in trouble. Our car, our engine is jacked up. What if we saw our personal love for God, our love level for God, like oil in our car? Periodically, we should check it. If our love level gets low, it will run our relationship with God off course. It will be jacked up. Useless. I suspect, though, sometimes that one of the toughest things about the Christian faith is to ask ourselves hard, tough questions and to answer them honestly. That's what God has brought people into our lives too, by the way. People are like, only God can judge me. You're basically saying, you know, giving the the Heisman to anybody who wants to speak into your life about what God wants to do. But for the last few minutes of this message, I'd like us, each and every one of us, to consider What's our love level for God like? Take some time and ask yourself these questions. Four questions related to our love level for God. The first one is, well, like Jesus, we should root out any other lovers, any other, anything else that has a claim on our heart any false beliefs, any desires that compete for God's place on the throne of our lives. God should be our first love. We should willfully determine to love the Father and obey his word above all else. So I'm asking you to consider to yourself right now, do I sincerely love the Lord? Are you? Do you, do you? Do you see yourself as belonging to God as exclusively his? We're told in, in, in one of Corinthians that we were bought at a price, or purchased. Was your identity based upon your own preferences? Was your identity based upon political? Is your identity based upon money, other circumstances? Jesus Christ displayed his intense love at the Garden of Gethsemane when he took the world's sins upon himself. He said, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will, because Jesus knew that he was here for the purposes of the Father. So I just ask you to ask yourself, in the deepest places, do you love God? God with all your mind. Do you want to win spiritually? Are you winning spiritually? What you allow to consume your thoughts makes a difference about whether or not you win spiritually. 2 Corinthians 10 tells us we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What has your thought life? What is capturing your attention? Is it the Lord? Do you love him with all your mind? energy to satisfy yourself and your own desires? Do you use your energy to advance the kingdom of God? Jesus said in John 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent. My nourishment, my sustenance, my strength is to do the will of God. I had a buddy post on Facebook not too long ago, we should focus our lives now on what's going to matter to us 10 My guess is if we really applied ourselves to doing that, we'd have to be making some adjustments. Do you sincerely love God with all your strength? To love God is to obey Him. To love God is to delight in Him, to find Him beautiful. We say with the psalmist in Psalm 27:4, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. Loving God is holistic. It's who we meditate on. It's whose character we want to manifest in our lives and whose appearing we look forward to. An oft repeated quote is by the theologian Augustine who once said, because God has made us for himself, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Because we've been made by God, our hearts never find the rest and the peace that they need unless they find them back in the one who made us in the first place. and So we try to fill our lives with so many things that just continue to leave emptiness. You know it. You've seen it. I imagine sometimes that God has many awesome experiences for each and every one of us, but he's waiting for us to release our grip on the things that are keeping us from receiving what he has for us. As we do the things God calls us to, as we obey, We open ourselves more and more up to him and to his love and to his mercy. And we see his beauty and fall more and more in love with him. God loves us so much. The one thing he wants for us is to love him back and love him back with all that we are. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we worship and praise you and we confess to you that we have not loved you fully with all that we are. And we ask you, Lord God, right now to forgive us for our sins and to help us to be the people that you've made us to be, to realize, Lord God, that your commands are not burdensome, they're actually freeing. We invite you to do a work that only you can do inside of us, Lord God. We recognize conviction and we also recognize the freedom of repentance. And so we come before you right now asking for your forgiveness for the sins that we have committed. We worship and praise you, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
0: Amen. You know, as Wayne is talking, I've just kind of like, the scripture says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. I don't know if you guys feel wounded, Uh, uh, but very healthy. Thank you so much for the word. That was awesome. And uh, I don't say that lightly, but I just sense the urge that we are partners. Grace and renewal are partners. And so I think we need to renew our commitment to pray for renewal. And Renew our commitment for praying for Wayne and Tanya. So can you pray with me? Father, thank you for our friends, our brothers, and God, what you're doing in this city, God, in this region. God, thank you for renewal. God, I just pray a refreshing over them, God, over their team, over their staff, God. God, I pray resources, God, that you would unleash heaven over them, Lord. God, I just thank you for that right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you, God, that you will just pour it out, Lord. God, I thank you, Lord, God, that, uh, that dead bones will live again in that regional, God. As he speaks your word, oh God, I thank you, Lord, that life happens, at renewal, Lord God, that their name is their nature, God. I thank you for that right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you for a refreshing for Wayne and Tanya and for the boys, God. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would overshadow them and overwhelm them, oh God. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you, Wayne. Listen. Hey, so as you leave out of this place today, uh, some of you have been wanting to have your own I Will shirt. You're like, it's fashionable. I need one of those. And so the way that you get that is there are connection cards or I Will cards outside. Like you say, you know, what? maybe you're a singer, a musician, or you're an usher, or you're a greeter. You know, you've got some giftedness. Well, if you go out outside and there will be two kiosks there, just fill it out. If you already serve and you don't have a T-shirt, you can go to the kiosk right outside the cafe. God bless you. Have a super Sunday.